Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. House lights as we continue our exploration of the what it's the wing of Tron. Is that what we're doing? I always yes. forget. Yes. Wing, right. of wing of Tron. Tron. Wing of Tron. Uh this week with director Joseph Kaczynski's debut feature film, Tron Legacy, released in 2010 as a long-awaited sequel to the cult hit Tron from 1982. I am joined here. I'm of course John Mills, but I am joined here uh with my two friends and esteemed colleagues, Darren Dillinger Moser and Tristan Rinsler Riddell. So gentlemen, how are you doing? And welcome back to the grid. I feel like I got the short end of that stick, but uh. <laughs> no, see, the thing is, the thing is, this is where, yeah, this is where you get shorted is, um, there's much more of a promise of a bigger role in the next one, but Look, you just care eh. about my father. Okay. That's the only reason I'm on this board. Uh, Listen, man. without master control program, we I'm wouldn't give be you some riddles. In 12. Okay. Yeah. There's going to be riddles involved for some reason. <laughs> I like riddles. Riddles are good. <laughs> Uh, but no videos of barking dogs because, because of course, this is an audio medium. Check out the Nerd Party. That's the network you're on right now. Check us out at thenerdparty.com. Over at thenerdparty.com slash contact, you can actually reach out to the show. Give us some feedback, suggestions, ideas that you have, anything like that. We're always listening. And, of course, on the uh, the other spots on the grid where you can find us is, you know, at Joy Nerd Party on Twitter and the Nerd Party over on Facebook and Instagram. So, gentlemen... I know that I, I caught a little bit of flack for, uh, you know, uh, missing, helping us miss a question about uh, the first time we viewed Star Trek six. And it's 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 a it's a painful, painful uh, memory that I carry with me. So I want to make sure that we address right off the bat right here as we come to Tron Legacy. Darren, did you see this in movie theaters or did you wait for home release? Oh, no, I definitely saw this in theaters in 2010, which, my gosh, is now, what, 13 years ago? Yes. It does not, you know, it holds up, like, visually, every, like, it does, does not feel like some weird uncanny valley. I mean, granted, the clue de like, that's probably the only point where technology has gotten better since then. But, uh, yeah, this was, de- I mean, another Tron movie. My gosh, I remember that little teaser the tron with the two instead mm-hmm. of the o cuz everybody loves doing that where it's you know and that was just the proof of concept and oh that got me so excited so jazzed yes it got me excited as well and i remember a blog that i was reading at the time because we all used to to read blogs kids before podcasts were a thing or at least the thing that they are now and uh there was a blogger when tr2n came out, grabbed a screenshot of it, and we got the much-anticipated screed about what a terrible concept it was to give it that title and blah, 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 blah. Is it the typical rage-posting sort of thing that happens to this day just on many more networks? But Tristan, did you go see this in the movie theater, or did you have your dad watch it and then fast-forward the you know any parts that were questionable? Well, I mean, he offered. But you know what? He's I, always I, there for you. I, I love that about your dad. I said, I said, old man, it's okay. It's okay. I can handle yeah. this one. No, I, oh, I, I hardcore saw this one in the theater. And not only did I see it in the theater, my whole family went. Like mm. we went together as a family because Tron was such a big deal in my household. We all loved it. We all enjoyed it and watched it on loop on VHS constantly. And so in 2010 i was I, I can't remember if i went down to where i grew up wh- where my parents live and we watched or if they came up to me i can't remember but we had an absolute blast watching it and um i had i was i had my my then fiance now wife 
uh, sitting to my left and my dad to my right. And my mom was sitting next to my dad and we get, this is one of my favorite memories of all, not just my favorite movie memories, but like one of my favorite memories. And so we get to this, like we're just post the siren scene and he's walking into the games and you're like, you're like, everyone's just like really chanting. You see the game circling around. And you're like, Rensler, And my mom loses her mind, reaches across and over my dad and starts smacking me in the shoulder repeatedly going like, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Wow. That <laughs> is a great memory. It was just, I just started laughing hysterically because there were so many moments when all of us like just started grabbing each other by the collar and just like, not like not looking at each other. And like our eyes weren't, were glued on the screen. Like, like another moment was when Rinsler was becoming Tron again. And he said, Bruce Bikesleitner said, I fight for the users. It's just, I'm getting chills right now. I'm literally getting chills right now. And we just all screamed in unison and people were looking at us like we were nuts and it was just such a great movie going experience and to have my whole family there. That is a, a wonderful memory. I wish I had something similar to that. I saw it with one of my cousins. I was excited enough for this movie that I saw it at our local LIMAX uh, in 3D. I was willing to go the extra mile. I despise 3D in general as a format. I think uh, largely it's been a waste of time in every decade where it's been tried, but I was willing to give this a, a chance specifically because I said to myself, okay, it was shot for 3D. It was created for that format and it's going to be effects heavy with a lot of layering. So I know that the 3D is going to look good and the 3D did look good. I didn't have seat that I wanted uh, because we got there late enough that I had to sit closer to the screen than I wanted to, but that's okay. That's okay the viewing experience created enough of an impression that to this day, I can still remember what part of the movie theater I was sitting in watching it. That's sort of a visual imprint that really sticks with you. And you know that the viewing has had an impact. Speaking of having an impact, I think the thing we have to just grab onto, there are two things we have to grab onto. First thing that I feel we need to grab onto because it, I think it's going to be a very heady discussion pun intended, is Clue. This is the huge moment where an entire performance of an actor is CG, de-aged, face replacement sort of stuff going on. Yes, it happened before this, but this is the first big scale where this is, if you don't buy into this and go along with us, you will not go with this movie. Darren, I toss it to you first. Your first viewing, did it work for you? Or is it something that you've ameliorated over time? How, how do you relate to Clue as he appears here in Tron Legacy? I, I enjoyed it. I feel like they were smart with the flashback in the very beginning with a lot of the back of Jeff Bridges' head and kind of like there's a single light source from the table lamp on him. Like they're doing it smart. They're not like, I'm going to walk out in broad daylight and it's going to be so obvious. And the rest of the time it's all on the grid. Uh, there are a few moments where like when clue is, is uh, speaking to his newly formed army and he's kind of chanting like our destiny and it never feels like the words are matching his mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing kind of when they have the TV flashback of Kevin Flynn has disappeared and he's talking at the MCON, you know, shareholders meeting or, you know, some sort of place. It's same thing. So there were a couple of moments where it, for whatever reason, the shape they were making his mouth didn't work with what we were hearing. Um, but all that aside, I, it did not pull me out. It, it was still, an, I knew what they were trying to do. Maybe with hindsight, it could have been cool if they had applied a little bit of a pixelation on purpose to Digital Clue. Something like that was the max resolution. He could make him more cartoony in that aspect so it's not right in the uncanny valley but 
overall, like I w I don't think it's until uh, Ant-Man and we saw de-aged Douglas, uh, Kirk Douglas. Yes. Uh, no, 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 Michael Douglas, uh, Michael Douglas. Yeah. That was where it was like, Oh my gosh, this looks amazing. Like that was kind of that next generation of it looked flaw. Like again, probably looking back, it's aged a tiny bit, but that I remember in my mind, it, it beat that technology being flawless, uh, so yeah, overall, I would say it did not pull me out. I, I enjoyed the performance. Um, and it's like, how else can you do it? I don't think you could really do it any other way for the type of story they were trying to tell. I, I would offer, and this is where I have had an argument with, I, I've mentioned Joey many, many times, but you have two paths you can go down. You're either going to hug the cactus and say, we're going to push the envelope here and we're going to make this happen. And we have a production schedule and it's going to be released on time. And we are going to do the very level best we can. And we're going to push everything forward. And this is the tip of the spear. Or you can go the James Cameron route and take 300 years between movies and have it be so long that you have to recap Everything that happened because everybody has forgotten what happened in the last one, which, you know, can, can work. But either way, Tristan, same question to you. You mentioned everybody loved what was going on in the movie theater there. Were there any moments like Darren is talking about where people sort of squirmed a little bit and, and said, uh, that one was a little ambitious? Well, I can't really speak for other people, but I think I can speak for myself when it comes to this. I was disappointed with the CGI face when I first saw it in the real world. And I felt like, like, you know, like, as you guys know, I'm a huge Fincher fan. This, this podcast started as a Fincher podcast, you know, this utilized heavily, um, technology that was built for the curious case of Benjamin Button. And that did a lot. Uh, in, in Benjamin Button, it did a lot and they sold it for the style of the film with this, with Tron legacy, most of it, like a huge portion of it takes place in the grid and not that much in the real world. Just like the first one, they knew that they were pushing the envelope with, uh, with de-aging technology. They knew that what they were doing hadn't been done before to this amount like this was a 170 million dollar movie and clue and flynn were were main parts of the movie we're going to be seen all the time they should have known that they had an easy way for the audiences to accept it because if you're in the grid everything's weird everything's stylized everything's neon everything's different everything's artificial by its very nature and so if the only time that we saw de-aged Jeff Bridges was in the grid, people would have thought it was mind-blowing from the get-go. But they, they, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too, and they had to go ahead and do it where, like, even at the beginning, if they, if, like, when, when the shot, with the, when the helicopter shot goes in and switches inside the house, and then we see Flynn talking to Sam as a young boy, and the camera just kind of, just kind of you know tilts to and tracks to the left and he's kind of silhouetted we just see a little little light on the side of his face if they just left it at that perfect we all know that it's you know it's dh we would have been wowed but then he turns to the camera and says mm -hmm. we're always on the same team and boom it's itchy it's wrong it's that uncanny valley that just tickles your brain and says no flee this is weird people don't look like that and then they did it again with the whole, it is our destiny, you know, and just like Darren was talking about on the TV. So like on the TV, I maybe could have bought it, but no, they had to do it in way in our face. Like they, like they, they stepped out into the light, like, look at us. And they, they should not have done that. I agree with you. I agree. They got greedy. And even after the first time I watched it, I, they could have cut around it. They didn't need to show his face full on. And even when they showed him giving the speech that clue later gives, I understand why that speech needs to be there. It needs to be there. But with a little bit of clever cutting, 
and rearranging, you could have cut over to, say, showing Bruce Boxleitner sitting in the audience uncomfortable, like sort Absolutely. of shifting in his chair, like, uh, I, you know, so you can see that he's he's not feeling what Flynn is laying down at that point. And it, it adds an interesting layer to everything. And, and to actually have real life footage of Jeff Bridges in an interview. Mm hmm like from that time period juxtaposed with digital Jeff yep. Bridges, you're shooting yourself in the foot guys. I agree. Just, they're not making it easy on themselves. I agree. I, I agree with Darren that it never took me out because I knew it was bleeding edge. Right. And I think that people get very obsessed with this idea of don't release it until it's absolutely perfect. And that's well, why then I Blockbuster's took the James not going to have a lot of uh, movies no, but, but they're that, never going to get done. That's why I took the James Cameron dig, which for me yeah. is ironic as hell because Cameron used rear projection and stop motion. And you look at a lot of his earlier stuff and even in aliens, there's stuff where you're like, yeah, that, that didn't age well, but he, he knew he had to release on a, on a timeline. And additionally, this is the first feature film for Kaczynski who later had a hand in, uh, you know, directing the top gun resurgence, top gun Maverick. And it, this movie made me a Kaczynski fan immediately. I saw what he did and I said, I love this. It's a very short filmography, but it's pretty much bangers all the way across. This was the most expensive film ever made by a first time director when it came out. It's and it it's insane when you think about what's sitting on his shoulders right out of the gate. Well, I I, I want to ask you, Darren, do you see when you look at this, did it make you excited when you saw, you know, directed by Joseph Kaczynski? Did you make a note of that name and say, I want to see what this guy does next? Uh I I wasn't as tied to directors in that moment. So I I'm gonna say no, but I will say you know, it, as a first, not even just a first time director, a first time director with a sequel movie. So you have to hit that balance of same but different, new but referencing. And it's, but I, and Tron just pulls it off. They really do. They make it an engaging story. It's a father son story. They, you don't have to have watched the first Tron to get it. But mm-hmm. like all good sequels, there's a ton of references that you will enjoy it even more. And the the visual direction they went with the the light up panels on the on the suits and all the I mean, that was cutting edge technology just to do practical light suits at the time. And it came off so good, like visually. I mean, Tristan's mom was hitting him in the shoulder because it looked so good. And yeah, that scene where it's like going to the games. And I mean, it's like if you were to juxtapose a show like the lacrosse, you know, bounce the disc off of the ceiling mm-hmm. battle with the disc wars we get. It's just night and day difference, but nothing against Tron. But man, and that's they, the beauty they it, delivered though, on like- it. They deliver. Think about computers and technology from 30 years ago. I mean, yeah. it. That's it how much has changed. It was interesting to me because I'm sorry to hijack this. No, a no, 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 please. Um, when they showed the flashbacks of young Kevin Flynn interacting with Clue and making Clue and, you know, Tron before he became Rensler and everything like that, I kind of wanted them to look a little bit more like the old style. Like because the movie, I liked how was, they had less. Uh, they had less light. Like did Flynn, they? Ha- yeah. So Flynn has like a a single stripe in his jacket that's lit mm-hmm. up. That's it. And Tron has they're, they're much. It's like casual, you know, lights. Like yeah, it's very. Little. I mean, yeah. They're they're not they're not wearing like their light bike suits and everything like that. Right. But I just felt like it was a little weird because. Well, I guess okay. I, I, I'm talking myself out of it right but now. But I see what you're saying, though. Like, more bluish, more helmety, more because it was eighty, Yeah, because it was 89 when he went missing, and the movie was in 82. So the technology should be a little bit closer to that, that time. But at the same token, 
I mean, this is a movie. This is a grid that was made by Kevin. Right. At this isn't the MCP. This right. is a totally was, different computer system. I, and they're cut off. And, you know, and like I, they're completely I, cut off from the internet and everything like that. So they, which it wouldn't didn't have exist as well. In 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it did, but didn't. It, did, right. it didn't exist. For, I mean, honestly, let's be honest. In real world, Kevin Flynn would have built this for DARPA and, you know, a whole lot of craziness would have ensued. Uh, but I, I think, Tristan, I, I get what you're saying. And I would say, I would offer, do you think that would have been alleviated with the decision to have him create Clue and have Clue look like the old Clue and then have him like do some hand waving stuff. And instead he changes to look more like the Clue that we get. like have a transition moment. Or do you prefer it the way that it is? No, I think I'm reading. I think I'm definitely reading too much into it. Like I'm so I'm super nitpicking. I feel like from a narrative standpoint, while that would what you described would have been freaking awesome. I think to Darren's point of what he said earlier it's a beautiful thing and a beautiful way that they did it where you don't have to see the first one. And from, like, as I said, from a narrative structure, you want to, you, you want only want to give so much information on screen in such a little amount of time. And that probably would have raised too many questions for first time movie goers. Yeah. And, and you know what, and you know, what's really neat is you actually, by bringing that up and us talking it out, it actually alleviates another another thing that's been sort of uh, something stuck in my craw over the years is that the original Tron is a very uh, pro-federated universe of computing where the whole idea is there is no master control. You connect however you want to, whenever you want to, you do whatever you want to do, and nobody has any control over what you see on on this, you know, on this grid. And uh, like that appeals very much to me. I, I happen to fall very much in that camp. This one doesn't have that aspect. And I've been chewing on that since this most recent rewatch. But I think you've actually helped me get to the point where both of you have, where this is something built by Flynn for himself. There wouldn't be a need for there to be multiple points of access. He's not building something right. the way that, Encom was building to take over the world and have everything go through them. This is a single instance of something. So why on earth would he have had multiple and points of entry? He's also he's recreating the experiment. Like right. he has to make a downsized miniature version of the laser, like his own grid. You know, yes, he's the CEO mm -hmm. of Encom, so he has access to that technology, but he yeah, he's totally making, you know, Flynn 1.0 grid. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to say one last thing on the, on the clue copy scene is one of my, it's probably my favorite shot in the movie. It is such a beautiful, simple where he's standing on the, on the blank grid and there's nothing and he hits the, you know, touches the floor and that kind of slightly trapezoidal pain comes out and it moves around and his reflection is actually a copy on the other side, like it's just so beautifully done and you instantly know what now it's used in a flashback. So we don't get it till much later in the story, but it, it you know, with words, it's telling you a lot. Absolutely. And speaking of without words, that brings me to the second thing I want to address with this beautiful film. And that's its incredible score. The score by Daft Punk we, you know, we, we always make a point to address music and, you know, oh, what did Horner do with, uh, with Star Trek two and stuff like that. But regardless of anybody's opinion of Tron legacy as a film, anybody who listens to this score is immediately entranced by it. At least in my experience, Tristan, I know that you're an aficionado of listening to, Tristan, I swear, you know, if you hate this score, we're going to oh, have, no. we're gonna no, have I, problems. I was going to say, ironically, I think that Tristan is probably a fan of listening to this highly electronic score on <laughs> vinyl. W would that be correct? <laughs> I did it yesterday. Yeah. yeah, of course you did. Of course you did. I, it's true. It's true. It's, um, I do have this on vinyl and like when it first came out, um, the movie when the when the movie came out i was like i am buying this on vinyl this needs to be a high quality soundtrack that i can that i can listen to and th they made a very 
very limited amount of, of vinyl uh, copies and they were snatched up almost immediately. And so you could not buy, you could not get them unless they were on the second market. And, and they were like hundreds and hundreds of dollars because people wanted, wanted them. And because there was so much interest, um, Disney and the, and the company owns the rights to the music re-released it on vinyl. And it's the exact same package packaging, the exact same weight and everything like that, high quality. And so the original owners are super pissed because it devalued <laughs> their, their copies. And so that's when I was able Sorry, to Sorry, we all one. can have nice things, original users. Exactly. And no, I, uh, my, my daughter, um, my, my six-year-old, she, I showed this to her when she was three for the first time and she became obsessed with it and we've watched it a lot together. And then we kind of took a break and then we watched it again together just a couple of days ago. And my 18 month old watched it with us and she sat for the entire thing and, and watched the whole movie. And we immediately went and put the record on. She asked me to put the record on and while we were eating, we were listening to, to Tron music. And so she would, she will often ask like when we say, Hey, let's listen to music. What do you want to listen to? And she'll go, Tron. Derest, you know, just nice. That would, I mean, that you know, you're, you're raising them right, you're raising them sure. right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, this soundtrack is so beloved that they actually released an alternate version of the soundtrack, Tron Legacy Derest. Yeah, I think was, was the call of it, the the name of it, and it's so all of the music is done as if it's eight bit you know, early 80s style music yeah. and has it, some extra really tracks that are kind of like redone by other mm -hmm. artists that weren't Daft Punk. Uh, and then on top of that, they released a complete edition where it had even more music that was in the film and stuff that they made for the film that was never used, that was never actually used on screen. Mm -hmm. And so you get even more. And so you're just, it's just, I, this is, I know it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but this electronic score in an age in, in we're, we're past Beethoven, you know, like we're, we're past Mozart. We're in the realm of Williams and Horner and Zimmer and everything like that. And then Daft Punk comes along and makes one of, if not the greatest score movie score of all time. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's next level. It does exactly what a sequel score should do, which is it takes the seeds planted by Wendy Carlos in the first one and grows it into this beautiful tree, something that is ultimately re-listenable, and it's a voiceless opera. I would argue that this is one of those scores where you don't ever have to have seen the film. You can feel a story being told throughout the entire score, and it in this is the highest possible praise I can give it. It plays a lot like the Superman score from 1978, which very similarly has this very soft overture goes into the big opening and all of that stuff. And you don't have to see a frame of film, but you know, everything that is happening or you're writing your own story in your head that will probably match a large part of what was happening on screen. Well, and like you were saying, John, it's a it's a sequel score, but it is definitely its own thing. Like, you know, I in watching the original Tron again, you know, we all know the main Tron theme, the da 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 da, but that's not in here. Like, we don't need that to be the consistent motif mm -hmm. because that's actually 80s Tron. Uh, Darren. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm sure they put it in somewhere, but yeah. uh, Kevin Flynn when he's holding the Tron. Uh, figurine in front of Sl Sam at the beginning of the movie. He hums yep. the first five bars. Yes, of yes. The theme. I'm talking about so, the uh, soundtrack. Jeez. Why did? But why <laughs> did it? Why did Itchy's rib hit the same note on two different ribs? That's what I want to oh, know. Geez. And if anybody gets that joke, you're welcome. Uh, but no, it's it's a yeah, it, it's a great score. It's fun to listen to. It's fun to drive to. It's mm -hmm. just so electrifying. I'm I'm a huge Daft Punk fan and. I, I got exposed to Daft Punk by their album Discovery, not from the actual album, but from the anime that they made that is a no speaking, just the album playing story, Interstellar 5555, weirdest name in the world. But uh, yeah, no, they, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you think back and then the executive said, let's get Daft Punk 
to do the score for this Tron movie, but it works so well. And it was their first album, I think, or not album, first score, I, I believe, as well. Well, they they also had a secret weapon. Their friend Hans Zimmer um, did help them just a True. tiny bit. True. Uh, to 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 put things together, Good old as Hans. as might be tipped off by the generous use of drums in several tracks. But here's where I'm going to get controversial because everybody should know I like to get controversial. But but before I do, uh, Tristan, you seemed like you wanted to say something because once I go controversial, I I don't know if we can come back from it. Um, did you did you have something you wanted to add real quick? to the to the music portion uh, yeah no i uh i read something interesting about who was in the running to to play as sam but i will let you get controversial Ooh, first i'm excited about that all right who who was in the running to play sam will be a very fun one to get to but here's where i get controversial there is one massively frustrating thing two massively frustrating things for me about watching tron legacy and this is a film i saw in the theaters it's a blu-ray i picked up immediately like the moment i could i picked it up i showed it to my kids uh when when they were younger as well they plugged into it everything i think that this is you know all of those things the two things that upset me are one when i look at this film when i watch this film there's this tiny part of me that screams out saying this was a template that they had for a perfect Star Wars sequel that that could have come out um, just a few years later. I look at this and I see very much a, uh, a template for what Lucas probably would have been going with with Luke Skywalker when he came back to episode seven. Um, and I consider it massively frustrating to watch in that context. Th this is one of those things where I it ties into the second thing, which is I don't understand why Disney has somebody like Kaczynski in the stable who delivers this film, does this job with it, pushes the bleeding edge of technology. It's his first film out. It becomes a cult smash. It's got an incredible score and he's never tapped to work on the sequel trilogy. And it is something that absolutely I need you guys to talk me through it. Talk me off the ledge here. How massively did Disney have a swing and a miss here? By I not mean, we all know J.J. Abrams is the only one who can reboot franchises with the word star in them. I'm sorry. I don't make up the rules, but uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Cause, cause I, I need you then Tristan, because every time I watch this and I go down this road, I want to, I want to pour gasoline on myself and light myself on fire to protest what never happened. Because this was, in Disney's eyes, a failure. Because yeah, even though the critics loved it, the audiences loved it, it didn't make the numbers that they put into it. This was a $170 million budget. And domestically, it, it just made that back. Domestically, just made that back. And internationally, it did not double that. Now, mm -hmm. put together, it did. But right. not individually. And... Disney really, really put in the marketing budget for this. I mean, really, really spanked it into people's faces. I remember and that. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And so you're not even looking at the the budget the marketing budget for these numbers. So it made four hundred million worldwide on a hundred and seventy million dollar budget in twenty ten. Mm-hmm. That's not That's enough. not very good. And yes it's a great movie and I love it. And so do a lot of other people, but it does not warrant a sequel. Like why make a good sequel to Tron when you could just make a live action, um, you know, well, you know, re your... remake of a, of an animated film that people will eat up and it'll make 5 billion. But to that, your question, John, I would say, I don't think that has anything to do with the director because this is a directing podcast. We probably should talk about him. Uh, but probably, um, no, I will say that they totally should have tapped him for episode nine. I, I think a lot of the limitations on its box office is probably the fact that it's a Tron sequel in general. That is a story that only certain people are going to want to see. doesn't matter how good it is. It's not the King's speech. It's not an Oscar drama. 
And so you're you're already going to have only so much saturation. It could be an amazing movie and some people are just not going to see it. And that has nothing to do with the director. It's with what they're given. Mm. I did, okay, so like my my daughter and I just yesterday watched watched Tron Legacy together again and she had a friend over today. It was a play date. We were all in the basement. And then my uh, my 6-year-old goes up to her and says, "Hey, hey Willa, Willa, do you know Tron? And she goes, no. Wait, do you know Tron Legacy? She's like, no. And then she runs over to me, whispers in my ear super loudly, <laughs> Willa doesn't know Tron. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay, baby. Not, not everybody's seen everything. That's too bad. And then she goes, <laughs> and then she plays. I think right there, you subbed it up, right? So poignantly. I- I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's all that needs to be said about that. I yes, I, I guess so. It's just it's one of those things where it just it makes me so sad because one of the big reasons I'm so thrilled that Kaczynski has had this massive, massive hit with Top Gun Maverick is he, I've been in his corner rooting for him since this film. Because I have wanted this guy to have a big old W, something that gives him uh, such a big win that he can walk into the next executive's office and say, I'm telling you what I'm doing. And this is what it's going to be, a sequel to Heaven's yeah. Gate. Yeah, he needs, but, a, he needs a blank check movie. He really yes, does. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And it, it, ironically, three. It, it won't be Tron 3. We already know that. And we also know, again, just just the way the universe works out, they have a light cycle ride that's coming to Disney World that already debuted over in Asia, and everybody's all excited about it, and it's great. And I'm the one sitting there talking, for instance, to my wife, who actually wrote it over in Shanghai, saying, you haven't even seen the Tron movies. It's not fair. You got to ride it. And she's talking about how great it is. And I'm like, you just, it's killing me. but. What's killing me more than that is Tristan. You had mentioned who else was in the running to play Sam Flynn. Now, of course, we uh, we we got Garrett Headland playing Sam Flynn here, and uh, who else were they considering? So here's what it says on IMDb. It says other actors considered included Casey Affleck, Chris Pine, Ryan Gosling, and Michael Stahl David. Now I don't know who Michael Stahl David is. Nor do I. I. Do know- I do know who Casey Affleck is, and that would have been a god-awful choice. Yes. Um, Ryan Gosling, I mean, he can do a lot of things, but I don't really see him in this role. I think Chris Pine could have done it. I think he could have. I've yeah. seen, um, what was it, The Guardian? Uh, no, I'm, I'm probably mixing my metaphor. There was a movie about like kind of a proto-Coast Guard with like little boats and he was in it and it was really good. Like I was seeing him in a, some directing chops kind of, you know, acting chops kind of a movie. And he was really good. I, I mean, besides Star Trek and all of that, I, I would watch Chris Pine in this. I think, um, I don't know. I mean, now he's so much older than 2010. So yeah. I have to de-age him in my mind that, <laughs> to that era. Hmm. But Garrett Hedlund, I, I enjoy what Garrett Hedlund did in this movie. And I, I never really thought of replacing him or like what it would have been if somebody else did it. But when I, every time I think back to Tron legacy, I'm just like, Oh, I like him. I wonder why his career wasn't bigger. Mm-hmm. And then the older I get and the more I watch this, I realize his charisma is not where it should be for leading a movie like this. And where he's, he's very handsome. He's very talented but there's just not that spark that makes you want to follow him. I, I, I don't disagree with you. He's very, very muted in this. But I've always liked the choice. And again, I, I tend to fall into the Roger Ebert camp. The actor gives what the director tells him to give sort of thing. And what I like about Garrett Hedlund's performance is I believe him as a person who's so emotionally wounded that he he always keeps it one note as much as like he doesn't get excited because he's carrying around a hurt that's so bad in his heart 
that it's just not something that he can really, he doesn't ever open up the emotions because if he does, it's going to open him up to other emotions that he doesn't want to feel. And I, I, I can understand that sort of thing where there are just certain things you just don't open yourself up to because the minute that you do other emotions might sneak in. And for that reason, I actually like Garrett Headland, his choices in this. I also like the journey that he goes on. I think what undercuts it a little bit is that he's never given that moment at the end of truly energetic release of that part of his persona. So he doesn't have a huge emotional moment. He has an emotional moment, but not a huge one, which I would have looked for when somebody finally reopens themselves after a lifetime of keeping it clamped down. I would have looked for a bigger reaction. But again, that's the director telling him what to do. Like we had the moment with Alan in the very beginning, you know, which is kind of poignant where he's like, oh, you could tell Anna had been kind of a surrogate father to him as best he could. But we needed some sort of moment in the before he goes on the grid where it's like there's like one like kind of like he just can't have that conversation or something is holding him back. And then we see him, like you said, John, release that after the fact. But this is very much like an old Hollywood movie where when that climax hits, we are done. We wrap up the story so fast. Like it is very, very mm-hmm. quick. That that's true. We, we get to the, the ultimate ending very quickly. I think that there's also a, uh, I, I think it's terrific that they quasi recreate the original Tron poster at the end of it. I think that's very neat. And I think I mean, that that's how you uh, interface as a user. Well, John, you know, obviously I don't make up the rules. It's what you got to do. But there, there's, there's definitely a philosophical aspect to this film. And Kaczynski is definitely touching on some very interesting themes here. And so Darren, I'll throw it to you first. Was there anything philosophically about this film the first time you watched it, or even this time that you watched it where you say you like, it was a food for thought moment, or has this always been something where you think it, it gets in its own way and it only ever hits sort of that surface level of it. I, I'll answer that by saying there, there's a w- one word in, in this movie. And even when I watched it again, most more recently, it always just kind of jumps out at me. And that's the word religion. When Jeff Bridges is like, everything was going to change, man, science, medicine, technology, religion. And I'm just kind of like, why, why, why religion? Like what? I, I don't get that connection. I, I don't ever feel that that word is paid off in the story. Is it supposed to be the spontaneous creation of the ISOs? Is it supposed to like, I get everything else he says, you know, all the bio digital jazz. It's really cool. But every time they drop that line, it feels like a first draft line that never got finalized into what really should have been said. And I have nothing against, you know, that being what the character says. It just, it kind of always stops me in my tracks because I can't process what he's talking about, Mm -hmm. but that's just me. That's, that's my experience. I, as much as I love this movie, I heard somebody say, It's like, man, if I could choose one movie that had the same budget, the same costume design, the same production design, the same score, the same cast, the same characters, and everything, but I could change one thing, it would be the script. That's what I would do with Tron Legacy. And I thought that was a really interesting criticism. Hmm. And because we've all talked about how great the music is, how great All the, the pieces. actors are. The pieces are great. And the pieces yeah. are great. The pieces are phenomenal. But there was something that didn't connect to a wider audience. And I think this this film definitely has some rhythmic issues. And more to your point, Darren, with what you were talking about with religion. Um there was a few things that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, one thing that I absolutely love is 
when Flynn is at the end of line club and he makes his entrance, which should have been the first time we saw him in the grid anyway. Um, mm. When he makes his entrance, you know, like, like a, and he, he's, you know, Cora saves everybody and then they run away. And then a woman falls down onto her knees, puts her hands up in prayer as he walks by. He's the maker. He's the, he's the yeah. maker. He's the creator. I love that, 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 that tone right there. But I think to answer your question, why they mention religion, I think it, whether it was answered or not, I mean, it wasn't, I agree with you. It wasn't answered, but everything was, was nailed down to the ISOs. Yeah. And I think that the MacGuffin itself, species yes, that the ISOs comes out of nowhere had no business being there. It was a complete mm. disconnect. It was a complete and utter disconnect, and it, it takes people out well, of it, and it removes the casual user. This is where I disagree, but go on, Darren. But no, well, no, I, well, I no, want no. you to disagree. Well, tell me tell me why you disagree. Well, and I want to say that I feel like the religion aspect is a holdover from the original Tron, where they dabble in that the programs think that the users are their gods with an, with a, with an idea and a, everything has a plan. And like, oh, you, I mean, they even say religion there. Like Stark says, those people who follow this phony religion of users, like will be conscripted and all this stuff. So it, but it feels like they never, it, it yeah. And I, I love that shot. Like you said, Tristan, where she goes to pray because Jeff Bridges just showed up. I mean, I'd do that too. If Jeff Bridges showed up at the club, but, <laughs> uh, but it's the fact that for me, he's then pulling it out of the grid because he's talking about the real world. He's talking about changes in the real world based on what he's doing in the grid. Now I can get a pseudo religion forming around Flynn. I mean, the crowd goes silent when his name is mentioned, you know, when his son's name is mentioned. So uh, yeah, what what are your what are your thoughts, John? On, on well, I, I think the, the the religion thing is is tied specifically to the ISOs, and I like the ISOs as I love the ISOs as a thing in this specifically because what what Kevin Flynn is talking about is if this life form came out of nothing, like came out. Right, what right. does that Good, mean for uh, life as in general? Like there, there, there's very proper conditions, a, proper conditions right, spawn but there, the ISOs. But there's a very big question then about reframing everything that we understand about what, like it's, That's the, it's a the big whole question but, for Tron legacy though. I'm just, I'm agreeing with but, you, but, but, that, like, but the thing is that that's, that is the question that Flynn is exploring through the whole thing. We're, we're about what is the impact of all of this stuff on the real world. And if a new sentient life form comes out of the conditions he created, what is the impact on that? Especially if he manages to transport it out into the world, into our world, what is the implication for that? I think it definitely just like, um, you know, if alien life suddenly showed up, there are a lot of people who would be very philosophically challenged about humanity's place in the cosmos with regard to their religious beliefs. That's definitely a thing. And so instead of coming from outer space, it would come from inside a machine. And if it's actual life that then comes out and can interact with human beings, what does that mean about a relationship with technology? All of those sorts of things. I, I definitely think it has a place that is very important here. I, okay, okay. Here's the thing, though. What you're saying is true, and what they were trying to do, but remove the ISOs from the plot, and the move. Nothing in the movie changes. Nothing in the movie changes. Uh, I don't I mean, know that I agree with that. Clue didn't need the ISOs to figure out how to get out. Like if, yeah, but, if but only see, the ISOs had been the ones he could conscript into his army, no, that would have been but, something. But and Clue destroyed no. the ISOs just because he viewed them as an imperfection, and so they right. were they were removed. Yeah. No, but but that's that's the whole point. Is that immediately demonstrates for us Clue's commitment to wiping out that which is imperfect? Because Flynn himself says, "What's more imperfect than people?" And so, so the ISOs clue, are there to show the threat to show clue would the be threat, to the real exactly, world. Exactly. The threat that Clue poses. If Clue gets out, we're even worse than the ISOs. The ISOs are at least partially perfect. We're hopelessly imperfect. And Clue, if he's on a mission to cleanse everything, he's a genocidal maniac. 
he's going to show up and he's going to, he says he's going to remake the world, all of those sorts of things. And it, it's one of those, uh, I, I think it's incredibly poignant. I think it's incredibly, you know, ha- has one hell of a point to make. And, and then you even divorce it just from that plot element of the ISOs. And you talk about the fact that, Flynn's whole mission is to create perfection. That's why he creates Clue. Am I to create the perfect program? Yeah. But <laughs> and and then that was that was spot on, John. I just thank you. Give you props it feels for that. like thank all these current much. chats with ChatGGP where we're like, "How do I destroy the world?" Let me tell you. Wait, wait. No, I didn't actually yeah. want to know the answer to that. I better yeah. phrase my question carefully. It's not. It's not. It's not artificially intelligent until it does what Clue does and refuses to follow orders. <laughs> then okay. we have to worry. Here's where I'm going to get controversial. Please, at least within this room. You remove the ISOs, this movie does better. This movie Disagree. makes more money. Disagree. You you get a much clearer through line. You get a much simpler plot and a much simpler story. It fix it helps some of the rhythm issues. People don't have to scratch their heads wondering why they're talking about what they're talking about. And it becomes a much more let's not let the bad guy get out story as opposed to a philosophical like what is life, what is religion. You're no, a monster. I'll, I'll I'll agree to that. Like if Cora had been Cora had been the neutron. Cora had been what Flynn builds to be the best program of this system after Tron is lost. And so she's still naive because she's new and and all of that. You could have had that. That there's another part, and it's during the during the ISO chapter where they're you know they're flashbacking and they're talking about like oh they came out of nowhere and then clue destroyed them and and kira's just sitting there on the bench going the purge and i'm like whoa whoa it's got a name it's got a name in the history books of the grid and you blow by it in so fast order like well what i want to know more about this nope sorry plot's got to keep going it I, again, I, I there's nothing wrong with the line in itself, but it always catches me off guard. It feels, again, like a first draft line of, oh, and then Kira calls it the purge. And I'm like, that feels like a very thought out line for half a second of dialogue. I don't know. Yeah, it's, but it's too the, much plot and not uh, enough story. Oh, God. I Y'all are monsters. You're just absolute monsters top to bottom. Because that, like... The thing is, they're talking about history that's happened, and it, it, it's almost like somebody saying, yeah, you know, World War II. And you're sitting there, you're like, no, I need to know who started it. What were the socioeconomic political factors <laughs> Because they want to make it? the ISOs an important factor in the story. Ah. So we want to know more. Like, I want us to delve more into how much perceived time has Kevin Flynn been through? He mentions, like... You know, How long? Yes. eight hours of outside S- time. Somebody it, did the math and it's close. It's between 800 and a thousand years. Oh my gosh. Like that's insane. Yeah, yes. That's, you know, but we, we gloss over that gloss over. We just don't focus on that. And like, that's, you know, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of time. Uh, yeah. But you know, you'd also go insane if you were frozen in carbonite and in the original line, you know, it's just a big wide awake, nothing. So I maintain that uh, that Han Solo is actually insane when he comes out of the Carbonite and Return. I'm, of I'm the Jedi. so glad they cut that line. I'm so glad they cut that line. Oh, that, was that an that, original line in in Jedi? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Said that, he, it's that just you're a big, awake, awake and conscious. Coven. Yep. But you can't see, or it's like no sensory input. Just you're a conscious. Yep. Wow, that's hell. Yes. Yeah. So Han Solo was literally in hell and came back, but For that has like nothing year, to do with the yeah. fact. That I, I think the ISOs are incredibly relevant. Look, I think if Chris the, Pratt can't stay awake well. for a year without someone else in uh, Passengers, then I don't think Han Solo could. Thanks for the spoiler. I haven't seen Passengers, <laughs> but I have seen Tron Legacy. And uh, here we are. And we obviously, I think the three of us are going to wind up at an impasse in our ratings here, uh, which is fine. You know, it's healthy. It's a good discussion. I've had a great time. Uh, going through why the ISOs work. And so I'll toss it to you first, Darren. Uh, what rating out of uh, out of five drinks at Zeus's nightclub do you give Tron Legacy? Um, you know, ISOs aside, I mean, we nitpick because we care. It should be the name of this podcast. But 
no, I give it a five. How can you not? This movie is so incredible. It's uh, I, I am okay giving it a five. I'm not saying a five is only reserved for a perfect movie, Tristan, but I'm saying that, man, all those, and we've talked about it, all those pieces, the pieces are amazing. Yes. Are there some plot issues? <laughs> I'm going to turn off Tristan's little picture right now. I don't want him looking at me while I'm saying this. No, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I give it a five. I honestly have to, because it is so fun. It is so visually amazing we get the light cycles we get you know i love how clues carrier looks like sark's sark's carrier i love the you know it for being as good as it is it has no business being a sequel it has no business being a sequel to a movie and reinventing it and carrying the technology and the visual style forward the music all these pieces um, ice as a side, I'm going to give it a five. I'm not going to let either of you change my mind. End of line. We, have, we haven't even talked about the production design, about like the recognizers. How freaking amazing. Oh, are they the look so good. They look so good. They look terrifying. And like the engineering of it, just the sheer engineering where like the legs, like the feet just kind of like down and then, yeah, and then like it like the, descends and the body the, descends the, and, and then yeah. underneath oh, the people so, go from the body. It's oh, it's yeah. just you can actually get in crafted. a recognizer. It's not like a TIE yeah. fighter where you can't land it and get out. Well, you can if you fold the wings. But Tristan, out of five, uh oh boy, uh five uh light cycles. Ori- no, five original copies of the vinyl. Five original <laughs> vinyl copies of the score. Oh, you're uh, rich, Tristan. How Those are always you- gonna go up in value. How many? It's the Bitcoin of vinyl. How <laughs> how many do you give Tron Legacy? Uh, I really wish I went last. Um, and uh, Darren's right. I mean, this isn't a perfect movie, and so I'm not going to give it a five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. my enjoyment of this movie is a five. Absolutely, like I love this movie. I like like I'm infatuated with the first movie, and I like this movie more than the first movie. And oh, well, you gave the first movie a four, Tristan. So by that logic, this should receive a... Well, that's the thing is that like I want to give it a four and a half because it's just, it's my, it's a mind-blowing movie. I love it to death, but that script needs to be reworked. That's a major problem. Like there's, there's a lot of rhythm issues and the script needs to be reworked. And I mean, like I, I've mentioned that before, like all the pieces are there, but clearly I wasn't the only one who had these issues with it. And even though I like this movie more than the first one, I think this movie is just as groundbreaking as the first one and give it 10 more years and we'll get even more love for this movie like we did in 1982 for the original. And so I'm going to give it the same score as the original and saying it's just as good and just as awesome and just as mind-blowing. And so I'm giving it four stars. Maybe, uh, well, four, maybe four and a half if you ask me tomorrow. I, uh, I'm, I've usually given this four and a half stars because the Uncanny Valley has irritated me with a couple of shots. But I can honestly say that this time around, I'm going to give it a five. Strictly because I've realized that I have rewatched this so many times and I do think the ISOs serve a purpose and I do think that they work within the script and you're both dead wrong. So I do give this a solid five. Uh, and I, and what really pushes it over the edge is this is the time that I watched it where I realized I have rewatched the hell out of this movie, like insanely rewatched this movie. There are so many things that work so incredibly well. And there are movies that are lesser than this that I've given fives to where I won't rewatch them. Where I, I was, oh, hey, this is good. Blah, 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 blah. This is a movie where I saw it, I paid for 3D on purpose. Not because I got conned into it like the first Avatar, but I paid for 3D on purpose with this, even though I don't like the format. And I bought it the day it came out on Blu-ray back in the day when it was harder to do show kiddos. 
all of that type of stuff. And so this is definitely a five. And this closes the Wing of Tron. So with that, Darren, do you want to tell everybody where we are building our next house here in the the wide expanse, the endless, endless mansion that is the house lights? Where are we building next? Even more than the Winchester house. This is going to have many, many (laughs) rooms. We're going back to the 60s with Stanley Kubrick with Spartacus. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.